morning, Dominion Church. How many of y'all excited to be here this morning? Come on. My God, the Lord is up to something great in this place, and you need to count it a blessing that you're here just to be a part of it. Amen? This morning is the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, but I got news for y'all. He's still risen. (laughs) We started a message, two-part message last Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, and um, it was entitled I Am, and I want to continue that this morning. I want to talk to you about the concept of I Am because the realization that He is what He says He is allows us to be what He's called us to be. But also, apart from that, it's in the face of everything of a world that gives no's and nots and and depression and darkness, we find that Jesus arrives on the scene, and when he comes, he comes claiming, I am. Somebody say, he is. In a world, though, that's full of no's, nots, and darkness, Jesus comes saying, I am hope, I am healer, I am restorer, I am peace, I am joy, I am life, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the way, I am the resurrection, and I am the light of the world. Somebody shout this morning, he is. Hallelujah, he absolutely is. This morning, I'm super excited to share with you this message simply because the fact that I will be preaching the unadulterated gospel to you this morning. And this is the the glory that where the gospel is preached, souls are saved, the bound are set free, those that are captive are liberated, signs, wonders, and miracles show up when the gospel of Jesus is preached. And I believe it will be here in this room this morning. If you will, one last time until the close of service, will you stand with me for the reverence of reading God's Word? I'm coming to you this morning out of John chapter 8 and verse 12. John chapter 8 and verse 12. I want to skip to the second part of the quotations of Jesus himself where he is speaking and he says this, that I am, I want you all to read it with me. How about that? Say this, I am the light of the world. Y'all, let's back up. Y'all reading with me. Ready? We're going to start with the quotes. One, two, three. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Father, we thank you this morning that indeed you are the light of the world. We thank you this morning, Father, that you are not just a light, you are the light. And Father, we thank you that in you and through your word, there is light. Light of revelation, light of of comfort, light of conviction, light, God, that exposes darkness, light that peels back darkness, light that calls us to walk out of darkness. Father, we pray this morning that as we preach, declare, and hear that indeed you are the light of the world. that the light that is spoke of will be made manifest in this room in the hearts and the minds of your people. Father, we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, the church said, turn to two people and tell them that he is. is. Say, he is. Amen, amen. You may be seated all over the house this morning. How many of you honestly would say, though, that as a kid, let's talk about darkness for a minute. How many of you would say, though, this morning as a kid, you were scared of the dark? Come on, stick your hands up. you in church. Don't lie. All right, y'all put your hands down. Now how many of you be really honest and say you're an adult and you're still scared of the dark? 
See, look at them. Look at them. See, they still scared of their dark. See, y'all had those, y'all must have had those monsters like I had when I was a kid. Like when you're sleeping in bed, like you can't allow your hand to fall off the side, can't allow your foot. And when you go to bed, you gotta close the closet door because God knows the monster can't come through the closet door. So you close. See, some of y'all still scared. In all actually, I really wasn't scared of the darkness as a kid. I was more scared of my shadow. Um I'll never forget one time my dad had a shop in the backyard and he had the big lights on the shop and I was, this is really the first time I found my shadow. I was walking across the yard, it was about dark and all of a sudden I looked down there was something on the ground and I took off running. And my mama, my mama opened the back door and she said, son, where are you going? I said, mama, there's something chasing me. She said, son, it's your shadow. That was B.C. before Christ, and now he has not given me a spirit of fear, and my shadow can cause healing on people when I... See, y'all read the same Bible I read. Ah, now the devil's scared of my shadow. All right, y'all read the same Bible I read. Book of Acts, Peter talks about his shadow being cast on people and bringing healing to him as he walked by. Anyways, but no, this morning... I want you to understand that all throughout the Bible, there is a contrast between light and darkness. Since the very beginning, Genesis says that God said, let there be, let there be, and there was light. And guess what the light did? The light divided the day from the night. It divided the dark from the light. And what we see is, is yes, a natural. He says that he gave a, a light, a great light to rule by the day and a lesser light to rule by the night, the moon, the sun and the moon. And, and we find out that indeed there is a, a contrast of light and darkness. But, but I believe God set up creation to testify of the story of his glory and redemption. I'm going to chase a rabbit really quick. It says that the, the greater light ruled by day, but the lesser light ruled by night. Do you understand that the moon has no light? The moon is a reflector of the light of the sun. Ah, my, hold on, let me preach this real quick. Do you understand that we serve an S-O-N who said that he is the light, but that in us we have no light, but the job of the believer is to reflect the light of the sun. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? He set creation up to tell the story. Some of y'all caught that, some of you didn't. You do understand that he said the lesser light would rule by night. Oh. He said, I'm going to create a breed of believers that when hell is its hottest and when the devils are the most ferocious, I'm going to raise up a generation that will bear the witness of my light in the middle of the night, late in the midnight hour. I'm going to raise up a church that's going to show the light of my gospel in power. World talking about how dark it's getting. You better believe it, bro, because your finest hour is here. Yeah. 
All throughout the Bible, contrast of light and darkness. God is light and Satan is referred to as the prince of darkness. Jesus, when he's speaking to Saul, soon to be Paul, we find in Acts 26, verse 17, he said, yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, verse 18, catch this, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Woo! See, if you've been around church any amount of time, you've heard that Jesus has made a profound statement that indeed he is the light of the world. But very few actually understand the context of that statement. And see, if we're not, if we're not careful, we will take scriptures out of context. But see, context is everything. It's not just what Jesus says. You've got to read your Bible understanding it's when he said it. <laughs> Because what you'll find out is the statement, I am the light of the world, is not a boasting statement. It's actually a statement of hope for you that are sitting in this room this morning. Anybody can show up on the scene and talk about what they are. But Jesus came lowly, humble, and the reason why he did was so that his message could be received. Yes, indeed, he is the light of the world, but it was not saying, look at me, I'm the light, I'm the shiniest, I'm the sparklest, I'm the brightest, look at me, bling, bling, everywhere I go. No, he showed up saying, I am the light, and in the context he said it in, it was a message of hope for everyone that's sitting in darkness. See, the truth of it is, is when Jesus says in John 8 that I am the light of the world, he said it right after we find a story of a woman that's caught in adultery. Caught in the act of adultery, brought in, thrown at Jesus' feet. And then, in this context, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. See, we find this life-changing statement made right in a life-changing moment. So what I want to do this morning is I want to break down the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery because I, I want you to help better understand the amazing grace-filled statement of I am the light of the world. It's not just Jesus claiming that he is the light of the world. It is a message of hope. It is a message of surety. It is a message of security. It is a message of deliverance. It is a message of freedom. It is a message of joy. It is a message of, uh, of somebody getting excited. And so I'm going to break down the story of the woman it, it caught in the act of adultery, but I want to break it down in three parts. It's going to be the law, the love, and the light, the law, the love, and the light, say it three times fast, and you sound like you're writing a soap opera. Say it. The law, the love, the light, the law, the love, the light, the law, the love, the light. There you go. Some of you people that look miserable to be here are finally smiling. Glory to God. <laughs> John 8, verse 2. It's okay if I teach a little bit to you this morning. Okay, good feeling preachy, but I want to teach because you need to catch this. At dawn, in verse 2, it says, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Verse 3 says, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. Just, just pause and go. Okay. A woman's caught in the act of adultery, and they made her. K 
catch that. They made her stand before the group. Just let's pause right here. Let's, let's talk and teach for a second. This woman is having sex with a married man, and she is caught in the act. Not only is she caught in the act, religion grabs her, and catch that word, makes her stand before a group. Mm. She didn't want to be there. She was humiliated to be there. This would have been one of the darkest moments of her life. And yet these religious pigs that pride themselves on shame take a woman and they make her stand there. You better stand there, you whore. You better not move. Oh, you about to get what's coming to you now. Okay, you need to catch this. And they made her stand before the group. Let's go on. And said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Now catch what verse 6 says. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. I'm going to stop right there. Take the scripture off. Let's break this down in context real quick. The woman is caught in the act of adultery. We're, we're all clear, right? We understand what that is. Y'all took eighth grade sexual education. You know what was happening, right? Okay. Here's the crazy thing. See, when I read scripture, I really try to read scripture. Like, I ask questions while I'm reading. And so here's some really good stuff that I want to share with you that I was asking as I was reading this. And I believe by me asking you these questions, it's going to propel your knowledge to want to ask the scripture questions while you're reading it. Here you go. Last time I took sexual education, it took two to tango. Okay, okay, okay. Y'all took the same sex ed. Glory to God. Hold up. Wait a minute. If she was a whore, if she was a, a, a harlot, if she was one that was, would, would give herself away to sleep around and be paid for it, then adultery is only in the case of marriage. So now I'm reading scripture. I'm like, okay, wait. Okay, so they were shacking up. But the dude that she was with was the married one. Hold up. Where's bro? Let me preach. Religion is a double standard that will, it will grab the weakest vessel and try to expose. It will try to condemn. It will try to, y'all better hear me. It will try to shame. Somebody needs to ask, where's bro at? See, religion will find the weakest in the crowd. Religion will say, ah, you dirty, you defiled, you labeled. We're going to drag you in and expose you. Don't even sit down because y'all about to stand back up. Now, here's, a, here's another question in the midst of this double standard scenario that I have to ask. She was caught in the act of adultery. Why don't nobody talk about the peeping priest? Let's talk about Jebediah up in the window, seeing what's really going on. And you know, deep down in my heart, I just want to ask, how long was he looking? How long did he only expose them because he got caught watching? 
Hey! Somebody had to be watching. Told y'all not to sit down. Just, just stand up. We're going we're gonna to ask some scripture. We got to ask some questions. Sit down, sit down, sit down. But you know, these are the kind of questions I ask. Like, okay, wait, last time I knew it took two to tango, okay. Where's bro? Did he pay the religious leaders off and be like, shh, just tell him I ran. But wait, you were caught in the act, caught in the act. Y'all chose that word. I didn't ask if she was caught in the act. You brought her to Jesus and said she was caught in the act. Imagination station, you can think what you want to think. She was caught in the act. They had to have looked in and seen it. Okay. Ain't nobody talking about that in Bible college. But here's the crazy thing. And this is where my heart really goes out to this woman because she was caught in the act. She was caught in the act. She was caught in the act. And if she was caught in the act, to catch means literally put your hands on. So they put their hands on her while she was in the act. And then she was drug out and brought to Jesus and thrown down at his feet. Now you got to understand something. When this act is taking place, you usually don't have clothes on. So she would have been naked. Maybe if she had time, listen to me, I'm not trying to be perverted, but I need you to understand the magnitude of what's taking place here. Because until you understand the magnitude of the sin and the darkness, you'll you'll never appreciate the light. And so maybe she had time to grab a sheet. Maybe. But here's this woman that is brought. They drag her and make her stand in a circle of humiliation, probably calling her names and probably, probably humiliating her. And they, t- and they have the nerve to take this woman and throw her naked at the feet of Jesus. She's full of guilt. She's full of shame. It's the darkest moment of her life. She probably wanted to die. She probably wished she would have never been in this place. But here's the amazing part. Is we find out that in the midst of this, the law, if you're taking notes, the first thing that you need to understand about the law is the law reveals our guilt. The law reveals our guilt. John 8 said, and 2 said that the teachers of the law and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. So the law, the the job of the law, somebody say the law. Law. Exodus 20, if you want to read about the law, thou shall not. If Harper was here, I'd bring her up and have her sing the Ten Commandments song to you, the perfect ten. How many of y'all remember that song? None of y'all. Glory to God. We're reaching the unchurch. Praise the Lord. Anyways, the perfect ten, the perfect ten. Is this another bumblebee scenario? Like, are we really doing this again? I'm finding a new church. <laughs> the law is the Ten Commandments. It was given high atop Mount Sinai. 
God on a tablet did write the Ten Commandments, Numbers 1 through 10, everything that thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not love, love not, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? See, the job of the law was to reveal our guilt. It was, see, until you understand that you're guilty, then you, you don't understand the concept of being pardoned. Okay? Hold on. We're going to get there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But in the law of Moses, that if you were caught in the act of adultery, here was your punishment. You got stoned. Okay, hold on, unchurch people. I'm not talking recreationally, Cheech and Chong got stoned. Like they picked up rocks, they threw them at you and killed you, okay? You didn't roll a spliff, bro. Sorry. I, I'm realizing how unchurched we are this morning. You got stoned, you got killed, you got murdered for, for the sin of adultery. It would have been something that, that when you were caught, you were killed. But here's the, here, here's the problem. Jesus is brought into the mix of this, and this is why it's the problem. Because the law shouted death. The law said she should die. The law said she's guilty. And here's the incredible truth. She was guilty. But here is the amazing twist that while the law reveals the guilt, Jesus reveals the grace. And so here this woman is thrown at his feet, but Jesus is in a dilemma because the religion really wasn't as much trying to kill her as they were trying to kill him. Verse 6, it's said that they did this trying to plot and to hang him up, to, to catch him in something. Here's what, here was the dilemma. They bring the woman, they throw him at his feet, and if Jesus says, yeah, she's, she's, she's forgiven, she's good to go, guess what? He is saying that the law of Moses is a lie, and now he's guilty of breaking the law, and he would be taken out to be stoned. Okay? Context, understanding what's happening here. Here's the second thing. If Jesus just says, yeah, stoner, then he loses the reputation of being the loving savior that he's worked for. So here's the amazing, you know, sneaky Jesus move. That's what I call it, sneaky Jesus. Like he doesn't even answer the question. He just throws something out at him. We're going to get to sneaky Jesus in just a second, but catch this. When, religious, when religion throws stones... The job of Jesus is to shield our hearts. See, the law reveals our guilt, but people never seem to want to admit guilt. The truth is, if I were to go through this room this morning and I would say, how many of you are a good person? All y'all be like, I'm good, I'm good, but I'm a good person. Who's going to heaven? Y'all ever done any kind of street ministry, talk to people, and you ask them, and, you're like, and they're like, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person here. Let's, let's see what the Bible says about your incredible goodness. Romans 3 and 10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. Verse 11 even breaks it down a little bit more for you. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12 drives it all the way home. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless, and there is no one who does good, not even one. So who's good? No one. No one is good. But we go around saying, but I'm a good person. Let's, let's break this down. I, took a, I taught an evangelism class years ago, and I'm a, I want to share this with you. How many of y'all in this room this morning 
would say that you've told a lie. First, let me tell you, I've done it, so I'm going to raise my hand. Raise them up high. If you've ever told a lie, now look around. Anybody that's not raising their hand, point at them and say, liar! Okay, good, good. We got that squared away. Put, put your hand down. Put your hand down. Okay. Now, how many of you have ever stolen anything? I'm going to tell you I've done that one too. Yep, stolen. All you people that don't have your hand raised, you know you have four Dominion Church pens in your purse right now. Go ahead and put your hand up, you little thief. Okay, all right. Boy, that was the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all, I saw, I saw one lady crying on the back row. She got convicted so bad. Now, I'm not proud to admit this one, but uh, I've definitely done it uh, in, in my BC life. I'm very convicted of it now, but how many of y'all have ever used the Lord's name in vain? Cuss word, you know. You're a parent, so you use his name in vain. You're a school teacher, so you use his name in vain. There's a lot of reasons a lot of people be using his name in vain. Not saying any of them justified, but some people will push you. Use it. All right, last one. Don't, an- don't answer this one yet, but adultery. Don't raise your hand. But here's what you got to understand. The Old Testament, the Old Testament says that Moses said that thou shall not commit adultery. Jesus came saying, for you've heard it of the old that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that a man that looks after a woman with lust in his eyes has committed adultery in his heart. So now we find that the cause of adultery is no longer just a sexual act. It's just looking with lust. Okay. All right. So understand this. By your own admission, you're lying, stealing, blasphemous, adulterer. Hear me. If you're lying, stealing, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer in this room, raise your hand. Raise it up high. Put your hand down. Welcome to Dominion Church where we make everybody feel great and preach a real feel-good message. See, here's the incredible truth, though. Every single one of us in this room is guilty. And until we realize the nature of our sin, we never understand the importance of a Savior. And so here's the incredible truth. Yes, the law can be harsh. Yes, the law can be rigorous. But the law is used to expose my heart in its sinful nature and show me my need for a Savior. And here's the incredible part. Here's the rest of the story. I want you to imagine this. You're being brought into a courtroom. And as you're brought into this courtroom, you're sitting before a judge. And here's the problem with this judge. This judge is the righteous judge. He's the baddest judge in the county. Everyone knows when you stand before that judge, he does never give grace. And so you come before this judge and and, and you're guilty. Like you really got caught. You're done. It's over with. There is no plea deal. And I want you to imagine this. You're standing at this courtroom and you're called to the throne or the bench of the judge. And as you come and you stand before this judge and your case is pleaded. You're lying, stealing, thieving, blasphemous, adulterous. And just before his gravel falls, the courtroom doors swing open and a voice shouts from the back room and he says, wait, 
I'm going to pay his fine. The judge looks, he says, what do you mean, sir? Uh, You've done nothing wrong. I understand that I've done nothing wrong, but this is my son and I am going to go in his place and I'm going to take his charges and I'm going to take his punishment. Isaiah 53, the chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, you better hear me. I'm telling you that when it should have been my charge, Jesus dropped the charges. So while the law reveals our guilt, it's the love, if you're taking notes, number two, it's the love that reveals God's grace. Catch this. Is this okay? I'm going to take a minute and teach, Okay. I didn't preach none this week, so you get Wednesday night time length and Sundays put together. Two hours. John 8 and 6. John 8 and 6, and I'm going to go to part B there is what they would call that. It said, but Jesus bent down. So this is sneaky Jesus, right? The woman's naked, maybe wrapped with a sheet, laying at his feet, and Jesus bends down. So do we stone her or does she go free? Jesus don't even say nothing. He's like. He just begins to write on the ground with his finger. Okay. So here's Kyle asking questions again like, what did he write? Right? Don't you want to know what he wrote? So to understand maybe what he wrote, a lot of biblical theologians have really dived into this because a lot of people want to know, what did he write? Later manuscripts literally say that he wrote the sins of the accusers. And here's why they can say this. Catch this. The word graphen, G-R-A-P-H-E-I-N. Graphen means to write down. But here's the crazy thing. In John 8, it does not say that he graphened. Jesus bent down and graphened. It says this, that he katagraphened. And see, that word kata literally means to write a charge against someone. Woo-hoo! Hold on. So when the accused is brought before him, Jesus bends down in the dirt and he cartographs. He begins to write charges against those that are standing in his presence in front of him. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And in verse, see, you got to understand something. This is God in the flesh that knows everything about everyone. There is nothing done in secret that he does not see. He cartographs. He writes down their charges on the ground in front of him. In verse 7, it says, And when they had kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Without sin. You understand that without sin means without even ever wanting to sin? He, he, he's already clarified that it doesn't mean that we have to be in the act. It's a matter of thought. 
See, Romans 8 says that the carnal mind is hostile to God. See, our mind doesn't want anything to do with God. That's why our mind has to be renewed by the reading of his word. Ah, as a man thinketh, so is he. How do you step out of your sinful nature into your born-again nature? You get the word inside of you, and all of a sudden it begins to change the way you think, change the way you talk, change where you go, change what TV shows you watch, change what kind of music you... Y'all didn't know you get disciplined by a dude wearing his mom's tablecloth this morning, but hey, it is what it is. And verse 8 says again, I love the fact, again. So he says all this and then it says again. So he looks at him, he's like, hey, you, you, you got it, throw the stone, you without sin. Verse 8, watch, go to verse 8, go to verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, go to the next verse. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left standing with the woman still standing there. Just pause right there. You know, I find it amazing that the older ones went away first. (laughs) You know what it was? I think Jesus started with the younger ones. And they said, I can see where this is going. Deuces, bro. You ain't putting my you ain't putting my business out there. <laughs> I can see where this is going. I don't want nothing to do with this. <laughs> and this is where the love reveals the grace because there it is, just her and him now. Mm. And until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. While the law reveals our guilt, it's the love that reveals God's grace. And that when she was absolutely guilty, she should have absolutely been punished. Jesus dealt with the charges. But that's not it. That's not the end of it. Jesus didn't say, oh, all right, you're forgiven, just just go out. Hang out. Fake it till you make it. Jesus said, then go now. Then go now. Jesus didn't deal with the fact of saying, listen, I know your life's messy because your daddy didn't love you, so now you've been spending the last 12 years in the arms of men trying to validate, trying to fulfill the love that you've been longing for. He didn't say that it's okay, I know that you got a gossiping problem and we'll work through it, just don't do it around the holidays. He didn't say, it's okay, I understand that you got an eating problem and your body's the temple and, and all of that, but hey, it's okay, we'll just, and my grace is greasy, we'll get through it. Mm -mm. 
Jesus dealt with the sin. Jesus dealt with the sin. Verse 11. Go to verse 11. John 8 and 11. Verse 11, there you go. And he said, go now. Somebody say, go now. And leave your life of sin. Can I speak to the person this morning that you're in darkness? And I believe that God's word for you this morning is go now. Like, get up. You're not who they say you are. They're not who you say you'll be. You're you're not a product of where you come from. The the, the amazing part is, is when religion throws you in the dirt and you find yourself at the feet of Jesus, there's no better place to be. But when he restores you, redeems you, and delivers you, you got to get up and go now. Go now. Now, 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 there's an expectancy, there's an urgency placed upon the word now. Jesus didn't say, it's okay if you sleep around a little bit after this. He said, no, I'm dealing with this thing and I'm dealing with it right now. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, the truth is, is when we come to Jesus, there is a demand placed on our lives to leave now. Leave now. See, Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says, For you were once darkness, but now you're in the light of the, in the Lord. Live as children of the light, verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. 1 Peter 2 and 9 said, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, John 8 and 12 said that if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, but you'll have the light that leads to life. Listen to me. Let me speak to the person right now under the sound of my voice that you're seated in darkness. It's full of shame. It's full of guilt. It's full of darkness. Jesus is calling now, right now. Somebody say now. Not something we wait on, not something we prolong, not something we put off, but right now. Come out of the works of darkness. Come out of the entanglement of your sin. Come now. Right now, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Why put off for tomorrow what can be done today? Right now, you're at the feet of Jesus. Right now, you're in his presence. And God's saying, why not now? When you come, you got to come all the way out and you got to leave the life of darkness. Isaiah 50 and 10 says, Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. I'm getting ready to come to a close. Give me five more minutes and I'm done. You ever went into a movie theater and you get there late and it's dark? Matter of fact, let me bring it even closer to home. You ever show up to Dominion Church? Late to service, and it's dark. You should see some of y'all. Can y'all kill the lights real quick? I know we didn't plan this. Just go ahead and kill them. This this be some of y'all coming up in here, though. That's good enough. Like, we'll be right in the midst of worship. I look at the door, and I'm like, here they come. They're like this. I'm like, glory to God. The Holy Ghost is on them in the parking lot. No, it ain't the Holy Ghost. It's the late arrivals coming in. 
Can y'all put some of them strip lights down so we can see where we're going? Can you show up on time? You should get here before 10.30. All the lights are on. Oh, y'all didn't like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Anyways, moving on. But have you ever noticed that when you walk into a really dark room, it takes a moment for your eyes to adjust. But catch this. Your eyes begin to adjust at the minimal amount of light that's in the room. Could be something from an exit sign. It could be something from a daylight that's protruding through a window. But all of a sudden, your eyes will fix focus and begin to dilate according to the measure of light that's in the room. Woo, I'm going to help somebody. And the amount of dilation allows for the amount of visual perspective. And see, here's the truth of it. When we are walking in darkness, all it takes is the minimal amount of light. The moment we catch a minimal, my God, the moment we catch a minimal amount of light, all of a sudden our spiritual eyes begin to dilate, and all of a sudden we may be in darkness still, but now we can start to see, we can start to walk, and all of a sudden our eyes are retaining the light that's in the room. Why is it so important for us to be the light of the world? Jesus said that he's the light of the world, but then he goes on to say that indeed you are, the church, is the light of the world, a city set upon a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. Why? Because in the darkest hours, the minimal amount of light will be enough for those that are in spiritual darkness's eyes, spiritual eyes, to begin to dilate to the measure that's needed for them to begin to walk out of darkness. The law reveals our guilt The love reveals God's grace, and I'm closing with this. The light reveals our hope. Verse 11, go now and leave your life full of sin. Guess what? It's an incredible message of hope right there. Catch it. I'm the light of the world. Go now and leave your life full of sin. You know, at first, somebody may say, man, that seems kind of preachy. That seems kind of judgmental. That seems kind of, I don't know, that seems kind of harsh. He's like, go now. No, that's not how he said it. He wasn't standing over her telling her, go now. It was a message of hope. She was in the darkest moment of her life, and she had just been revealed the light of the world. And in verse 12, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Stand with me all over this house. When Jesus said, I don't condemn you, he was no longer just the light of the world. He became the light of her world. He was no longer the light of the world. He was the light of her world. And I want to speak this morning to the person that's seated under the sound of my voice this morning. You may be seated in darkness, rooted in, in, in despair, broken in the most shameful hurting season of your life. 
The most amazing part is a testimony that comes from your Savior that says, I am the light of the world. And the reason that he says, I'm the light of the world is so that you can say, he's the light of my world. And because I'm in him and he's in me, I no longer have to walk in darkness. I no longer have to walk in guilt. I no longer have to walk in shame. When, the, when the Satan reminds me of my past, all I have to do is remind him of his future. And every time he stands in Revelation 12 before the throne of God accusing the brethren, there's a lawyer that's pleading my case and every charge he brings up, Jesus shouts back and says, forgiven. Every accusation, Jesus shouts back, my blood paid for that sin. Every lie, every detestable thing, everything I've ever done. When he tries to find me accused, Jesus says, forgiven. And we find that this statement in this context, I am the light of the world, is an incredible message of hope. John 12 and 46 says, I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. What's his heart? His heart's for you to come out of darkness this morning. Can I tell you something? That the light always defeats darkness. The most minimal candle, the most minimal light in a very dark room will expose enough measure of light for it to be seen on almost every wall. And I understand that the world is dark and I understand that it looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket, but here's what Jesus is asking, where is the light in the world? Where are those that will reflect my light? Where are those that will reflect my love? Where are those that will stretch out their hands to a world that is shameful, hurting, dark, caught in the act and expose them to my love so that the light that I am can reveal hope to them. Micah 7 and 8 is my last verse. It says, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Some of you need to take that verse and you need to write it down. Because when the enemy's gloating over you, when he says, ha ha, look at them, they've fallen. Oh, you said they'd be in light. Look at them, they're walking through darkness again. There he goes. Don't you gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room. I don't know what darkness you're in right now in this season. But I know that he said, I am the light of the world. I don't know what measure of despair, what measure of shame, what measure of guilt, what measure of condemnation. I don't know what has your heart so convicted and cut this morning, but I am confident of this, that the law may reveal our guilt, but the love reveals God's grace and the light reveals the message of hope that in our darkest times, Jesus is a light and not just the light of the world, he's the light of our world, that when we abide in him, we will not be in darkness. Every head's bowed and every eye closed all over this room. You're here this morning. We've already experienced and encountered God in an incredible way, but I, I need to do this moment right here, right now with you. If you're here, you'd say, preacher, I'm in darkness. I'm in a dark season of my life. I'm distraught, I'm in despair, I'm depressed. 
I feel full of shame and guilt. It's just me, you, and Jesus. Every head's bowed and every eye closed. Will you just slip up your hand so I can see you and so I can pray for you? Come on. The room's dark. Nobody can see you. Thank you for your hands. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. A whole family right there. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, ma'am. Woo. You can put your hands down. This is what I want to do right now. John 12 and 46 says, I have come into the world as a light, so no one who believes in me should stay in darkness.